Good morning. It's good to see everybody. Welcome to Seacoast Church. Uh, I want to welcome all of our campuses as well. If you're joining us uh, at one of our locations around South Carolina, North Carolina, join us online. Uh, my name is Josh Surratt, I'm lead pastor here at Seacoast, and excited to be with you guys. Always honored uh, to get a chance to share with you. Before we jump into our content for this week, I want to celebrate a couple of things. There's some good things that have been happening uh, around the church I think are worth, worth celebrating. Last weekend, first of all, was just a great weekend. Max Lucado was with us and had great services. And uh, at, at between this campus and all of our campuses, we did baptisms. And we had 150 people get baptized last weekend at Seacoast, which is just cool. Uh, if you're new uh, and aren't familiar with baptism, that's 150 people that, that are going public with their faith, saying, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. Some of them for the very first time uh, making that decision last weekend, which was awesome. And then we've talked to you guys some about the Association of Related Churches, the ARC. And, uh, you know, this is kind of a heavy planting season for us. And the last two weeks, we planted 22 churches. The opening day attendance on those 22 brand new church plants was a combined 4,900 people that showed up with 270 committing their lives to Christ, which I think is pretty, pretty awesome. And um, just so you know, that's not something that, that, that we do. It's something that we all do together. Uh, 2% of every dime that's given to Seacoast is, is given to, to, towards church planting, towards the mission of expanding the, the gospel and the, the church around the world. And so thank you for those of you that uh, have given at Seacoast. Just know that we're seeing some crazy, awesome fruit out of that, and, um, and, and we're just excited to celebrate it. Last but not least, uh, this weekend was very significant uh, for all of us in the fact that the Chicago Cubs clinched a playoff spot this weekend, and so we should celebrate that. In fact, I am going to celebrate that. I'm going to preach in my Cubs shirt this weekend. And um, yeah, we were between services. My grandpa is here. You know, he moved to town a few months ago. And grandpa, you're a Cardinals fan, is that right? Or Astros or, you know, some loser. But um, <laughs> he, he goes, he, he, I went in the bullpen and he goes, he's always very complimentary of me, very, you know, excited about what God's doing in my life. And he said, Josh, I tell you, with that shirt, you were a loser before you ever opened your mouth uh, this morning. And so some good, healthy, healthy banter between grandpa and I. Uh, but, you know, we don't get this opportunity very often to celebrate, so forgive me for that. And you don't have to be a Cubs fan to worship at Seacoast. Uh, you don't have to cheer for the same team that, that God cheers for. Um, <laughs> no, really, in his word, uh, Psalm says, God draws near to the brokenhearted. Uh, we haven't won a World Series in over 100 years. In other words, today's English, that God is a Cubs fan, so just trust me on that one. Hey, I want you to, to think with me for a minute. Back to the day that you moved into your current uh, place of living, uh, whether you live in a house or an apartment complex or a condo, I just want you to think with me back to the day that you moved. Can you remember the day that you moved in? And, and think about the, the first conversation that you had with one of your new neighbors. I don't know if you can remember that. Some of you may not, but remember the, the first or one of the first conversations that you had with, with a new neighbor. Uh, for some of you, that was someone that stopped by as they saw your moving truck and maybe welcomed you or said hey or offered to, to help or whatever. Others of you, maybe they drove by and your moving truck was in their way. They maybe blared on the horn and gave you the one-way uh, signal to heaven. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> but, but think about how you felt after meeting your neighbor for the first time. Chances are there were a, a range of emotions uh, represented uh, in our campus. So some of us were like kind of excited. Cool. There's maybe, these are some friendly people. I look forward to to getting to know them and, and living near them. And others of us thought, my goodness, I have made the worst 
mistake of my life moving here uh, when you met your neighbors. Would you agree with me that the quality of your neighbors has a direct impact on your life? Uh, It has in my experience. Uh, Lisa and I have lived in several different places since we've been married. And remember when we lived right near the church several years ago, uh, we had some great neighbors. Uh, Some of our neighbors became really good friends and others would just, you know, be acquaintances that we got to know a little bit, just had amicable relationships with them. And um, some we didn't get to know very well, Uh, but there was this one neighbor. He will remain nameless, uh, but he became a bit of a problem for me uh, in that that neighborhood. And actually, Lisa met him first. I was preaching on a a weekend at Seacoast, and she was nine months pregnant with our first child. It was the middle of the summer, and she was, I don't know, some of you ladies that have been through uh, having a baby before, for Lisa in her ninth month, she was willing to do anything to try to get that baby to come out, you know, Uh, so, so she was ready to have this baby. So she decided in the middle of the summer to mow the grass uh, at nine months pregnant while I was not home. And so she's out there pushing the lawnmower and this gentleman who, he was retired and uh, kind of guy that he liked to take interest in everybody else's business, if you know what I'm talking about. And so he stops by and, and he introduces himself. He stops Lisa and he says, ma'am, what are you doing? And she said, well, I'm, I'm mowing my grass. And he said, well, do you have a husband? And she said, yes, I do. Why? And he said, what's wrong with him? And she's like, what what are you talking about? He said, no real man would let his pregnant wife cut the grass. And so so that was my first interaction with this gentleman. And we had many more similar ones uh, through the years. And so if by chance you are here, uh, I forgive you for all of those things. And we can kind of bury the hatchet. But but had, had, had a, a rough experience, and, and we would all agree that our neighbors kind of play a role in, in our lives, and we all want to live near good neighbors. But the better question to ask is, am I a good neighbor? Am I a good neighbor? We're going to be doing a series where we're going to be just kind of talking about this idea of our neighbors and, and being good neighbors. Before we get into too much of it, I want to do a little, I put together myself a a scientific survey to help us evaluate, am I a good neighbor? And so uh, help me here. We're just going to go through a couple questions together. And I want you to think about where do you land on this survey? The first question here is this. You notice that your neighbor's grass is consistently about knee high and overrun with weeds. Do you, A, contact the homeowners association to notify them of the problem? Come on, some of you are here. Do you secretly cut their grass for them? That would be a nice thing to do. Or do you see leave cards for lawn care companies in their door, on their windshield, and in their mailbox? Kind of the passive-aggressive approach. Uh, One of our staff, I was talking to him about this, he said, you know what I do is I just wait till I know that they're home, and then I go passive-aggressively mow my yard uh, so we can see the difference between the two. That's, he was a jerk, so you shouldn't do that. All right. (laughs) You notice the smell of a different kind of weed seeping from the door of the apartment down the hall. These are real life issues, right? All right, what do you do here? How do you, how do you handle it? Do you pull the fire alarm and evacuate the building? Do you ask some of the other neighbors to, quote unquote, be praying for the heathens down the hall? That's a very common Christian practice. We pray for people while we gossip about them. Uh, or do you see risk exposure to a secondhand high to stop in and bring some Funyuns? What kind of neighbor are you? Where, where do you land on the neighboring spectrum? Your neighbors constantly allow their kids to play unsupervised in the street. Do you A, lecture them about being a careless parent and the dangers of playing in the street? 
Or do you, B, pull a top gun and buzz the kids so that they get the message? You know what I'm talking about. You don't run them over. You just buzz them, get close enough to they know. Or do you get a children playing sign and put it out and join in on the fun? All right, last question. A new person moves into your neighborhood. This, we've all experienced this. You see the truck. What, what do you do here? A, avoid them at all costs. You already have too many friends, and they could be a serial killer for all you know. B, peek through the blinds when your neighbor goes over to meet them, watching for signs of serial killer behavior. Or C, stop by to introduce yourself and invite them over for dinner. During dinner, ask them questions that are subtly designed to determine whether they are a serial killer or not. What kind of neighbor are you? Listen, if you answered A to every one of those questions, there's a good chance that your neighbor put their house for sale because you live near them. I'm just going to kind of, you know, break it to you lightly. Yeah, we're going to have some fun with this series. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. We're starting a series this weekend that we're calling Like a Good Neighbor, Like a Good Neighbor. Our plan is to talk about neighboring and how we interact with our neighbors, but if y'all don't react very well to that, we're going to talk about insurance for a couple of weeks. So we hedged our bets on the title. Uh, I am obligated to thank our sponsor for this series, which I'm just kidding, we don't have a sponsor for the series, but we could do the song, Like a Good Neighbor. That's right. Y'all, th- you are welcome. You will have that in your head for the rest of the day today. Honestly, I, I believe that this series could be one of the most important series that we've ever done at this church. And if you come to Seacoast very often, you know that we don't really talk like that all the time. We don't hype things. But I honestly believe that as we, as we look into the idea of becoming good neighbors, that it could have an incredible impact on our communities that we live in and on, uh, even on the cities that we live in. And I feel like I can say that with confidence because there was a moment in Scripture where um, a, a guy came up to Jesus and said, hey, what's the most important thing? If you could boil it all down, what is the most important thing? And Jesus' answer was really what we're going to be talking about for the next couple of weeks in this series. If you, if you have an outline sheet, you can pull it out. And uh, the first Scripture on there, when we think about why would we do a series on neighboring, it's because of this Scripture right here. It's kind of our anchor verse for the series. It says in Matthew 22, verse 34, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? You know, anytime Jesus spoke, it would be important to listen, but especially when the question is, hey, what is the most important thing? Can you, can you boil it down for me? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. But he didn't stop there. He says, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. He says, all of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. The most important thing in Scripture. Jesus says, you know what, I can't give you just one. Because there's two, they're connected. One is I want, you to, I want you to be passionate about your love for God. Love God with everything that you have. And frankly, I, if you had to stop there, that's easy enough for me. Because God has been so gracious to me. He's forgiven me of my sins. He's treated me in a way that he shouldn't have. It's easy for me to love a God who's loved me so perfectly and completely. But it's that second part that gets me hung up because people tend to be the problem, right? Uh, God is great, but people we tend to have challenges with. But he says, you know what? Your love for God is, is only as good as your love for your neighbor. Love God and love 
people. Love your neighbor. It's probably one of the most well-known passages in Scripture. It's known as the great commandment. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. You know, an interesting question would be, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Because for me, when I think about this scripture, it's not a new scripture for me. Most of you, if you've been in church very long, you've probably heard uh, that scripture before. But who is your neighbor? I think about my neighbor as the people that I sit next to at church or the people that I work with or the people that sit next to me in in an airplane or on a bus or even the the refugee across the world. You know, I think of all of these people are my neighbor. And you know what? If you think that way, you're right. You're exactly right. All of those people are our neighbors. In fact, when Jesus was asked the question, who is my neighbor? Uh, he answered with the story of the Good Samaritan, which essentially illustrated that your neighbor isn't just the people who live around you, because in that culture, they would have lived around people that thought and acted and believed just like they did, right? They lived in smaller communities and the Jews kind of lived with each other, large extended families. And Jesus gave him kind of a graduate level understanding of neighboring. He said, no, your neighbor's actually people who don't look like you, who, who culturally, they may believe differently than you. They may not have the same values that you have. They may not come from the same background that you have, but you, you, that's your neighbor. Love those people. Well, today we don't live around people that live and act and think the same way we do. Our, our living situation is a lot different. Most of us live in either an apartment complex or, or, or a neighborhood or a dormitory where there are people around us that are, that are way different. And so I wonder if, uh, maybe I'm the only one. When I think of my neighbor as everyone in the world, I mean, my neighbor is everyone, it almost becomes a metaphorical verse for me. And it becomes very hard to apply loving my neighbor to everyone. I mean, we can try. We can try to love the people that we interact with on a daily basis. I think that's a good thing. But what if we backed away from the the graduate level understanding of neighbors and went back to the elementary understanding? What if our neighbors were actually the people who live near us? But what what if we applied this scripture literally? Said, you know, I wanna I wanna take some time to learn how to love the people that live around us. I wonder if that wouldn't have a potentially a massive impact on our lives. Think about the scripture in Acts chapter 17, verse 26. It says, God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. That scripture says that God chose, God predetermined when we would live, that we would all live during this time for such a time as this, but he also predetermined where we would live. In other words, The reason why you and I live where we live isn't because the master bedroom was downstairs and the kids' bedrooms were up or it had a great kitchen that we really loved or, you know, the the school district was perfect for our family. Those all may have been important decisions. We don't live where we live because we couldn't afford the place we really wanted. That may have been a factor in your decision, but, but what this verse tells me is that we live where we live because God determined the time and the space that we would be in. Because we were created with purpose to make a difference. And there are people that live around us as we speak, as we sit here in church together. There are people in our neighborhoods that need us to show them what God's really like. To show them who Jesus is and what he's like by loving our neighbor, by by being available, by being accessible and loving our neighbor. So we're going to study that this week. And in fact, I even had a 
I just thought about it on Friday. Well, you guys heard about the tornado that came through uh, on John's Island uh, in, in our Charleston area. We had a tornado. Thankfully, nobody was, was injured or, or killed in it. Uh, but, but I was reading an article in the newspaper. happened not far from our Sea Island campus. And uh, this family, their house was literally torn apart. And the lady was describing what happened. And they were hiding, kind of taking refuge in a closet. And they opened the door to the closet to realize that their house was gone. And what she said, though, is she said, so we waited there until we knew that our neighbors would show up. I read that and I thought, man, I wonder if if Jesus was actually not just talking about morally the, the right thing for us to do is to love God and love our neighbor. I wonder if Jesus wasn't, in fact, a genius to know that a strategy for really taking care of the people around us would be loving our neighbors. If, if we would be a people that would love our neighbors, then when disasters happen or fires or hurricanes or tornadoes, you know, the, the people that live around each other, if we step up and we care for each other's needs, that, that, that wouldn't be the most effective strategy for, for loving people and for, for taking care of the needs that we deal with. I would, I would guess that most of our societal issues could be resolved by people learning how to be great neighbors. I believe the elderly would be taken care of and widows could be taken care of if people would just go, you know what, I'm going to take ownership of where I live. I don't know if you rent or own, but you need to own where you live. You don't need to own your house, but you need to own that God has placed you there and take ownership of our neighborhoods. So we're going to study that this, during this series. Uh, there's a book that I read about a year ago called The Art of Neighboring. In fact, my friend Ernest Smith, who pastors Front Range Church, he's a part of our church, put me onto it. It was written by some pastors in Denver. And uh, we've got the book available, kind of inspired some of the, the, the basis of our, our thinking for the series, but just excited about looking into it. Before we get into how to be a good neighbor, though, I got to confess to you, I am not an expert at neighboring. I, I thought I was a pretty good neighbor, and we've had some, some cool friendships that we've met with neighbors over the years. But uh, about a year and a half ago, Lisa and I moved into our current neighborhood. And I just got to tell you, we love it. We love where we live. And it has nothing to do with the style of our homes or the, the amenity center that they offer, the school district that our kids are in. It's because we have got some incredible neighbors. And we've just become students of, of neighboring for the last year and a half. Uh, people like uh, a friend of mine named Rob. Uh, I was edging the grass uh, not long after I moved in the neighborhood. And as you know, my wife does most of that for us. So I was struggling with it. <laughs> And um, like I just, I hadn't used an edger in a while and uh, we, we had lived in a condo or a duplex for a couple of years where we didn't have to do any of the yard work. And so I was a little out of practice and I'm out there edging the yard and, and Rob, uh, one of my neighbors came over and he said, hey, I just wanted to, can, can I help you with that? First, can I show you a couple of things that are gonna make your life a lot easier? And literally he taught me how to edge. You'd think my dad would have done that, but he taught me how to edge. <laughs> And it just uh, took about 30 minutes off of my, my weekly routine of yard work. I was like, dude, thank you. That was, was awesome. I got another neighbor, Justin, who bought a, a, a lawnmower uh, a couple months ago, and a riding lawnmower. And, and he came, he grabbed a bunch of our neighbors, and he said, you know what, guys? This isn't my lawnmower. This is our lawnmower. And I want you to know, you don't have to ask me to borrow it. Here's our garage code. Use it whenever you want it. And, I, and he can testify. I've taken him up on that many, many times. But just generous. And you know what? What's mine is yours. You know, let's, let's just be neighborly. And uh, I've got another neighbor, Kevin, who, you know, uh, on my kid's birthday party, I wanted to borrow his outdoor um, screen, wanted to do an outdoor movie in our backyard. And he had this projector set up stuff. And 
not only did he let me borrow it, but he, he brought it over and he helped me set it up for the kid's birthday party, spent several hours with me just kind of connecting. And then a storm came in right as we were getting ready to start the, the movie. So he helped me pull it back down and just a great neighbor and another neighbor, Rob, who's given me the code to his garage and said, man, if you need to borrow something, just do it. You know, we got ladders or whatever you need, just borrow it. And Matt and Shauna, just some incredible, incredible neighbors. I love, love where I live. And I have seen over the last year and a half the difference that it can make in, in a person's life by just having people that live around them that, that are, are neighborly, that are loving and friendly. And I think uh, maybe it's a lost art. So let's, let's look together at how can we become good neighbors. So first thing, I'm going to give you three Ds as we kind of do an overview for the series that we're going to do. Next weekend, Pastor Greg's going to talk to us about sort of some of the built-in excuses that we have. You know, a lot of us go, uh, I'm not sure if I can, I can do this because of time or because of whatever. And he's going to kind of address some of those. So uh, don't give up on the series quite yet uh, before next weekend. By the way, before I jump into this, normally we say, hey, put your cell phones away. Pull them out. We're going to have fun during the series. We want to learn from you. Uh, if you've seen some things that work in your neighborhood, or maybe you just want to tag a neighbor that, that's a great neighbor to say, hey, high five, you're doing a great job. Use the hashtag, my good neighbor. Uh, and we're going to kind of learn from each other throughout the series too, to see if we can kind of brainstorm together on how we can do this well as, as, as we learn how to take ownership of our neighborhoods. Th- first thing we do, develop friendships. Become a good neighbor. If we're going to do it, develop Friendships. Now, there are some of you that you can do this whether you try or not. You know, you can befriend the front door because you're just good at making friends. You're an extrovert and you love people and, and that's awesome. So it's elementary for you. Others of you go, man, I don't, you know, that's just not my, my thing. I'm not great at developing friendships. Maybe you go, I, I, I'm kind of introverted. I, I, I'm not sure I, I'm on board with that. And I just would say that this isn't an extrovert or introvert thing. This isn't, we're not trying to teach introverts to become extroverted. And in fact, my mom is an introvert, extreme introvert, and she's one of the most loyal and faithful friends that I know. I mean, when she becomes friends with somebody, you better not say something about that person or cross that person because she's going to stand up for them. And so we can all be good friends. We can all learn to develop friendships. I want to give you two simple steps to develop friendships. Number one, and this is going to blow your mind, learn your neighbor's name. (laughs) Learn your neighbor's name. I know, I know that sounds so simple and so elementary, but think about it. The majority of of conversations that I've had with people about this, people just don't know their neighbor's name, Uh, beginning with yours truly. I mean, I've been preparing for this series for a year, and there's still a couple of neighbors that live real near me that I, I I struggle to remember their names. It's not because we don't like our neighbors. I think there are a lot of reasons that we may not take the effort to learn their name. Maybe it's fear. We don't know how to start that conversation or make that connection. Some of us, we live uh, in, in a, an apartment or a, a dorm room or maybe our house is for sale and we just don't plan on being here very long. And so we're like, is it really worth going through the effort to learn a name, to, 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 to do this thing? I'm going to be gone in a few weeks or a few months. And if that's you, I would just remind you that God has placed you where you are and you have an assignment while you're there. Uh, Jesus said actually in Luke 16, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Maybe, maybe your assignment isn't done yet. And until the day that you move, God may have plans to, to, sh- to show his love through your neighbors, through you. So let's, let's learn people's names. 
I believe the greatest word in the English vocabulary for someone is their own name. In fact, Dale Carnegie, who wrote a book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, he says a person's name is to that person the sweetest and most important sound in any language. We love to be called by our names. Why? Because our names, when someone uses our name, it shows respect, it shows value, it shows that they care, they, they, they connect into our identity. And I know this, I've known this for a long time, yet I struggle big time with this. I have a disease, it's called the I forgot your name disease. Does anybody else have the, the forgetting names? Come on now, let's just be honest. I struggle with this. I mean, I, I, it, it surfaces like this. I, you, you'll hear me go, hey, what, what's up, buddy? How you doing, man? Long time. Yeah, good to see you, man, brother. So I've learned how to pray for people. I've learned how to have heart-level conversations with people, and I've forgotten their names. And it's embarrassing. It's hard. And, and you know, look around. We can't know everybody's names. Don't get mad at your pastors if we forget your name. But let's, we, we could be intentional with the people that live right around us. Let's learn their names. Uh, we put on most of the chairs, there are these maps, uh, these neighborhood maps. If you would pull that out for a second, I just want to kind of, it's a tool that could potentially be helpful for you in learning people's names and remembering people's names. Uh, we put about one per household out. So if you don't have one, you can also look at your outline sheet on the back of it. We just have a, a simple um, kind of exercise. Who is my neighbor? But at the center of this map is you live here. So everyone gets one right here, all right? If you remember your name, you got one right. So you, you put your name on here, and um, th there's eight houses around yours. Recognize that not, not all of our neighborhoods are kind of divided this way, but there's eight homes. And what if we just stuck this thing on our refrigerator and said, you know what, over the next week or two, I'm going to try to learn some of my neighbor's names. I'm going to get to know them. And, and as soon as I get it, I'm just going to write it down here and, uh, and, 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 and try to get to know their names. Now, we didn't put our, our church's name on this map, and we did that on purpose. Here's what I don't want you to do. Go door to door, hey, my church wants me to learn people's names, so could you, uh, you're right here. What is your name again? I'm going to get that down. Thank you. God bless you. Please don't do that. Please don't embarrass your church. You know, if, if someone sees this map in your, on your refrigerator, I would, I would recommend a conversation that goes, you know what, I'm trying to get better at remembering names. And so I've just got this, this map, and you know, if you want one, I can probably get one for you too, but just want to be more intentional about learning the names and becoming friends with the people that live around us. It's just a matter of, of intention. It's a matter of, of learning people's names. And so here's what I would ask. If you think about the eight homes nearest you, how many of you would say, if you think, what, what's the first name of the adults that live in those homes, the eight houses nearest you, how many of you would say, I think I could name all eight of those neighbors? Just raise your hand. Okay, impressive. There's about five of us, <laughs> and I'm not one of them, by the way. Um, that's not to shame us, but that's to say, hey, it's hard to love your neighbor if you don't know their name. That's step one to developing friendships, is let's learn our neighbor's names. This may be a practical tool. If this doesn't work for you, pull, I mean, even when I started, knew that I was moving in my neighborhood, I would meet people. I would just pull my iPhone out and, and have a, a running note that had neighbor's names just to try to remember who they are. When we speak someone's name, we speak value into them. So learn their name. A second quick thought on, uh, on developing friendships would be, uh, what if we turned our backyard, our front yard into our backyard? Just for a season. What if we made the, the front yard the new backyard? What do I mean by that? 
We all love to hang out in our backyard, right? And if you live in an apartment complex, maybe your backyard is, is your apartment or the amenity center, whatever it happens to be. The place that we hang out, the place that we uh, really connect with, with our family, with other people, is think of that as our backyard. I love my backyard. Um, got a soccer goal back there that we play with, with Miles. We got a trampoline. Just, I love hanging out in our backyard. What if we just for a season said, I'm going to be intentional about hanging out in the front? Maybe that's hanging out on your front porch. I know for me, we put up a basketball goal a couple of months ago, and even in laying out the goal to start putting it up, I had some neighbors that stopped by and, and helped just to be a part of it. And as soon as we got it up, start playing basketball in the front yard, you know, people start kind of showing up and hanging out. And all of a sudden, we were, had a game of four and four going on and meeting new neighbors. And it's just being intentional about being in the front yard. I heard the story about one family that wanted to take this seriously. So they got a, a picnic table and they, they painted it like yellow or something and just put it in their front yard and began to hang out around that picnic table. And before long, it became a gathering place for people in the neighborhood. They would have coffee around it. They would connect with people. But just what if we just, what would that look like for you to, to hang out in your front yard? Maybe that means taking your dog on a walk instead of just letting him go out in the backyard to do his business. You know, you take a dog on a walk and he meets another dog. What do they do? They sniff each other, right? Well, while they're sniffing each other, you can get a name from your neighbor, all right? So just being intentional and thinking, I want to, I want, I want to know my neighbors. So the first step is to develop friendships. Second thing that we do is discover stories. Discover stories. I'm reminded of one of the most famous encounters that Jesus had. It happened in John chapter 4, and it's the story of the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. And Jesus is traveling um, from one city to another, and he, he goes to this well around noon, and there's a woman there. And they begin to establish a, a, a relationship, a conversation. It starts around water. Jesus says, hey, would you mind giving me some water? And she sort of identifies that, hey, I'm a Samaritan, and you're a Jew, and we probably shouldn't be you know, connecting uh, and having a conversation like this. And ultimately, this conversation led them to talk about faith and theology and but eventually Jesus got to her story. And he said, hey, why don't you go get your husband and let's, let's talk about some of these things. And she said, you know what, I, I don't have a husband. And, and because he is divine and he's God, he knew. He said, yeah, I know you don't. In fact, you've had five husbands before. And, and the one that you're with now, you're not married to. And he, he got to her story. And her story was one of, of heartbreak, of, of divorce, of mistakes, of, of being hurt. And Jesus got to her story, and eventually he got to her heart. Look what, look what she did when she was leaving that conversation. Here's what I want you to notice about this story. John 4, 28 to 29, says, Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Then a couple verses later, John 4, 39 says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony, because of her story, which was what? He told me everything I ever did. Two times we see that phrase. He told me everything he ever, or I, ever, or I ever did. He knew my story. He knew my background. And when Jesus got to her story, he got to her heart. When he got to her, the pain, he got to her story, he got to her heart. See, if we're going to be intentional with our neighbors, if we're really going to fulfill the great commandment 
We've got to get to people's stories. Discover people's stories. See, when the conversation goes from what do you do for a living and nice yard to, hey, how's, how's your wife doing with, with her battle with cancer? Or, hey, I know, I know your kids were having a hard time at their school. How are, how are things going there? See, that's when intimacy happens. That's when we begin to connect with people and build friendships. I've been a part of a lot of small groups over the years here at Seacoast. And a lot of times they start off a little bit awkward and surface level. But it's that moment where someone goes, you know, we've been trying to have kids for three or four years. Could you guys pray for us that, that this could, could happen? They, they share their story and it's like, man, we connect. We all of a sudden, there, there's, the relationship goes to another level. You know that guy in your neighborhood that maybe has fussed at your kids at times, kind of grumpy, a little bit of an irritant to you? I wonder what his story is. I wonder if maybe there was some abuse or a death of a loved one or some pain, some hardships that have kind of got him to where he is. I wonder if that guy became, went from the grumpy old man to, oh man, that's Joe. Do you know his story? kind of helps us love our neighbors better when we understand a little bit about where they're coming from. How do we do that? I think we've got to get good at asking questions. It'd be nice if we were like Jesus and just knew. But asking questions, you know, taking an interest in who they are. Hey, wh- where are you from? Tell me about, tell me about that place. How, what, what brought you to move to this area? Or, hey, tell me a little bit more about your family. I want to know your story. I want to hear more about you. Get good at asking questions. A lot of times we learn other people's stories by sharing ours first being willing to go, hey, you know what? I want to tell you about my story, some of the things that have shaped me to, to help me become who I am. We've got to discover people's stories. Last thing, if we want to be intentional about developing these neighborly relationships, develop friendships, discover stories, a third thing is that we would determine next steps. Determine next steps. You know, not long after Lisa and I moved into our uh, neighborhood, our, our doorbell rang, and I uh, thought, oh, cool, a neighbor, you know, someone wants to introduce themselves. We've had a couple people come by. I was like, this is going to be great. And we go to the door, and it's, it's a meat salesman. You guys know who I'm talking about? He had a, like a white truck, and he had a cooler on the back. And uh, he came, and he had, he had predetermined that our next steps were that we needed to buy a cooler that we couldn't afford for several hundred dollars, and then we needed to buy our meat several months at a time, so we stored it in the cooler. And he had this great plan and this vision. He was excited about it, this this meat had changed his life. The chi- when he talked about the chicken and the quality of it, he was just fired up. But the problem is he had kind of de- determined that our next steps were to buy this stuff. We were not planning on doing that. That was not our next steps whatsoever. And so it created some awkward moments in our, our, our living area. And finally it was like, hey, thank you, thank you so much, but we, we don't want the refrigerator. You know, I don't want to be rude, but, but I'm sorry. And uh, I wonder if sometimes we're like spiritual meat salesmen. You know, we're like, man, I know Jesus has changed my life and, and your next step is to, to come to faith in Jesus, you know, and, and we, we kind of like, we want to throw ourselves at people and, and I, I just want to encourage us. I, I don't know that that's really who we are and I, I'm an evangelist as much as the next guy. I love telling people about my faith in Jesus. I'm not saying we shouldn't do that, but I'm saying, what if we took a more prayerful approach and said, Lord, what are the next steps here? Where are you at work in this person's life and what's my role in that? Let's not be spiritual meat salesmen. Let's, let's try to discern what are the next steps. Look what Jesus said in John 6, 44. He said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. 
And another place in Scripture, it talks about the idea that some people would, would plant seeds, other people would water seeds, and some people then would, would harvest seeds. Let's just not be presumptuous that we're here to, to save the neighborhood. Your neighbors are not a project for you to work on. Your neighbors are people for you to love, care for, pray about, determine, what's my next step? For some of us, it'll be to pray for them. Others maybe to play with them, to, to have a party, to connect with them, to invite them over. Others might be to, to just serve them. There may be a, they've had a baby or a loss or a transition and you want to just kind of step in and serve them. And for some, it may be to invite them to church. I'm not saying let's not do that. I think ultimately we're all about living out the Great Commission. But if we'll just be good neighbors, there's no strings attached to the Great Commandment. He doesn't say love your neighbor as long as they believe and look like you do. He says love your neighbor. Then it's going to open the door to conversations about your faith and about where you're at, about the way that God has been good to you, and it would maybe lead to an invitation to others. One last story as we kind of close, uh, thinking about this and the idea of neighboring. I thought about my, one of my neighbors, Mark, uh, from a few years ago. Mark, uh, our neighbor had moved, and we loved the, the prior neighbor, but Mark moved in, and Mark was an interesting character. Uh, he struggled with alcohol. It was very obvious uh, early on that uh, he often had alcohol in his breath and uh, was an alcoholic. He worked in the food and beverage industry, so we didn't see each other a ton. We kind of crossed paths at different times. He was living with a, a girl that he wasn't married to, and there were a couple of kids that were, were living with him. And over the years, we just developed a, a bit of a friendship. You know, we knew each other, first name basis, and he knew that I was a pastor, and he kind of ribbed me about that every now and then. And uh, but one night at about 11 o'clock, my doorbell rang, and at the door is Mark, and he shows up, and he's, he's sobbing. He had obviously, he was just a mess. He had obviously been drinking, uh, had too much to drink, and he was dealing with a crisis in his life. He said, Josh, I'd, I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry that I'm here, and I'm sorry that I'm like this, but I need help, man. Can, can you help me? Is there anything you can do to help me? And I'm like, gosh, I think so. I think I can, and you know, so I started to talk to Mark about his story, and you know the the divorce he had gone through, and the strained relationships with his kids, and eventually I said, Mark, tell me about your faith. You know, do you have faith? What what what, what about your relationship with Jesus? And he said, Man, I grew up in the Northeast. I'm Catholic like everybody else, but it's been a long, long time since I've actually had a a conversation with God. I don't know what what to do with that, and so we just talked. And eventually we prayed. And Mark prayed to receive Christ, which I was excited about. But when I sat down with Lisa that night, I said, does it count if they're drunk? Because I don't know <laughs> if he's going to remember this conversation. But the reality is that over the next several months, uh, I had the opportunity to just continue to connect with Mark. And I was able to baptize him in the baptismal pool right over here uh, next to the church, which is exciting. Um, opportunity to do the, the wedding uh, ceremony. Mark decided, you know, we need to get married and uh, did the wedding ceremony for Mark and his wife. And we got to watch Mark walk down the very long and difficult journey towards sobriety, which he has done. And it's been a long time since Mark and I lived near each other, but we've stayed in touch. We've texted, stayed in touch with what's going on. And, and it's be all because we just, we were neighbors. God had planted me next to him and I didn't know why. And in hindsight, it was because Mark needed to have a relationship with Jesus. And he needed someone to kind of walk him through that journey. And I know what you're thinking. Well, you're a pastor. 
You know, it's, that's what pastors do. I got to tell you, sometimes being a pastor is a, a barrier to those relationships. I was at a baseball game last week, and about the third inning, after lots of choice words had been shared, guy goes, so what do you do for a living? I'm like, dude, you don't want to know. Just <laughs> don't, don't. We'll, we'll move on. So it's not about that. It's about each of us. I mean, look around. Look around. God has placed an army of people in neighborhoods to simply love them. You want to know what God's will is for your life? Love him and love your neighbor. Start there. Start there. What would happen if we took the great commandment seriously? I'll tell you what would happen. There's about 8,000 households represented at Seacoast. About 8,000 homes. About 14 to 15,000 come on the weekend. 8,000 households. You know, if over the next year, 8,000 households said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be intentional to learn the names and to develop relationships with, with uh, I don't know, eight or so houses around me. And just be Jesus with skin onto them. Just be good neighbors. Just love them where they're at. That's 64,000 households that we could impact as a church. Let's say there's three people per home on average. It's 192,000 people without spending a dime on a program, without, you know, starting a, a, some big new ministry, just doing what Jesus called us to do. We could impact 192,000 people. That's, that's williams Bryce Stadium filled up twice just by doing what Jesus asked us to do. Maybe Jesus was a genius. Maybe Jesus really understood that the key to changing culture is just to be a good neighbor, to love the people that live near us. That can be a little overwhelming, eight households. What if we just started with one? Can I challenge all of us with this map to just over the next week, just start with one. I'm going to learn a new neighbor's name, someone that I don't know yet or I'm not connected to. Or I'm going to, maybe I have a name. I'm going to try to get, get into their story a little bit. I'm trying to learn, learn a little bit more about them. I'm going to take interest in who they are. If we all just did one, you're talking about 24,000 potential individuals that we could impact in a, in a week or two. Would you join me on the journey to becoming a good neighbor? Looking forward to seeing what God does in us and through us during this series. Let's pray as we close. God, I thank you so much for your word. And Lord, just the simplicity of, of what you've called us to do. You've called us to love you, and you've called us to love other people, to love our neighbors. Lord, would you help us to be good stewards of the places that you've called us to live? Lord, help us to own our neighborhoods. Lord, that we would walk out of here knowing that we don't live where we live on accident. We're going we're gonna to take an interest in the people around us. We're going to love our neighbors well. And I pray, Lord, that you would just go before us in the conversations that are to come. Lord, in the, uh, the, 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 uh, where we're going to try to meet people. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would just make those appointments divine. That we, would, uh, we wouldn't have to be awkward about it. We wouldn't have to, but we would just proactively take interest in the people around us and become good neighbors. Lord, I can't wait to see what you're going to do as a movement of people, just loving the people around them, sweeps through our cities and our communities. And I pray, Lord, that you, we would just make much of you in the process. In Jesus' name, amen.